0: Welcome to the city church podcast we hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message if you would like to find out more about the city please log on to our website www.thecity.sg all right good morning, good morning. I'm excited to speak today because it's one of my favorite topics you know um, I'm going to speak to you on worship and uh, yeah. So we'll see how it goes. Alright, I mean, worship is a—it's something that we speak often in this church. And you know, the idea of Christian worship uh, is found in songs, in music, the lifting up of hands, the expressions of worship. And in this church, I think we have already established that worship is not just music-related. But music is also a lifestyle. It's in our giving. It's in our relationship with one another. It's in our dealings with one another. It's in our attitude towards God. You know. And so this is established. It's worship. You know. But what exactly does the Bible say? I just want to do a bit of teaching today, so I'm going in a bit fast. okay? But today I just want to talk um, about worship and the, the beginnings of worship and what worship actually uh, looks like in the Bible. And so in, in the dictionary, it says worship is reverence offered to a divine being or supernatural power, a form of religious practice with its creed and ritual. You know, and we know that you know, in fact, I feel that uh, in, in the Eastern cultures, okay, in the Eastern religions, um, worship is very real yeah I've spoken to a lot of like um western friends, and their their idea of worship is very different from eastern we are more we are more open up, open to the supernatural because you know even even in, in in the in the pagan worship that we see you know so openly in our country and that we grew up with that maybe even our ancestors uh, have been involved with. We are very open to the supernatural, and so we know what worship is. We know what it is to be subjected to a deity or to subject ourselves to a higher being. And so today, we just want to see what the Bible says about worship. And in the Bible, there's this uh, principle that Bible scholars do. I I like it when I can say something smart. So Bible scholars came up with this thing called the law of first mention. And basically, the law of first mention is... Can you all see? Okay, very good. I keep thinking like, it's too small. Maybe it's just me. Uh, the, the law of first mention is the principle that requires one to go to the portion of scriptures where a doctrine is mentioned for the first time and to study the first occurrence of the same in order to get the fundamental inherent meaning of that doctrine. Basically, what it's saying is this first mention will of any word or any theme or any um, a major passage, whatever wherever it appears first, that sets the tone for whatever references that they'll be using next time from then onwards, okay? And so with that, right, the law of first mention. Now let's look at the Bible and let's see where worship was first mentioned and where we get that fundamental inherent meaning of worship. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. It's a familiar passage and it's quite a long one, but let's take time to read the Word of God. Genesis 22, verse 1 to 18. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. (laughs) So when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar and laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar uh, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy and do anything to him, for I know now that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering. And then down in verse 15, it says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your only son. I will, bless, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so here we see in verse 5, the first mention of the word worship. It says in verse 5, that Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkeys. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And then we will come back to you. And so in this context of worship, you see that in the background, there is no music, there's no moving soundtrack, right? In fact, uh, it was just the word of God and the response of the heart of a man. And so in essence, right, basically what Abraham was saying, I will go there and I will do as, as instructed. I will go there and do as what God told me. I will go there and listen to what God has said. And then I will come back. I will go there and I will obey what God has told me to do. I will go and do what God has told me to do and then I will come back. And so essentially, worship is obeying the voice. To worship is to obey God. And that is the first mention of worship. And that sets the precedence of worship. And so later on, you can see different expressions of worship, right? The lifting up of hands. Even in, in, the, in the days of David, you know, his different expressions of jumping and dancing before the Lord. All these are expressions of an inward decision. All these are expressions of worship, but the heart and the core of worship is to obey. Is to obey. Worship was defined as obedience unto the Lord. So what was it about obedience that, you know, worship is a big thing, even now in a modern day church. Worship is a big thing. So what was it about worship? about obedience, not worship? Obedience. So, what is it about obedience that God used it and God called it the fundamental, the inherent, the ultimate expression of worship? What is it about obedience? And so, let's look at obedience today. What? I feel so teachery. Let's look at first Samuel chapter fifteen. Let's dwell a bit. Let's delve a bit into obedience and what that means for us. In First Samuel chapter fifteen, to just give you a summary, right? Uh, God told Saul to destroy the Amalekites because the Amalekites, you know, when the children of Israel were were being uh, were taken out of Egypt or when they were escaping Egypt, they were being chased down by the Amalekites. Okay, and so God remembered it and God told Saul to punish the Amalekites. The instructions were to destroy everything and everyone, but they kept King Agat, and the, what a name, <laughs> and the best of the cattle. So this is summary, okay? So Samuel, the prophet, comes to rebuke Saul, and then Saul gives excuses, okay? So basically, that's the whole passage. So that's the whole story, okay? And in First Samuel 15, 22 and 23, Samuel said to Saul, Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of lambs. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Basically, what happens was Saul was told to kill and destroy everything. That was the punishment for the Amalekites. That was like the instruction from God. That was the word of God. It's as clear as day. Just destroy everything, even the infants, even the, the cows, the cattle, everything had to be destroyed. Okay, But Saul and his men, or rather his men and then Saul allowed it, to, he kept the king He kept the best of the sheep Of the cattle Of, of all the things and, and, when, and when Samuel came and said Didn't God say this? Saul replied Oh, but you must know I kept all these good things for God I kept all these things So that we can give to God And give him praise And sacrifice to him And Samuel comes to him And, get, and, so, and Samuel keeps saying Didn't God say this? But Saul keeps giving excuses and saying, "No, but I'm doing this for God. I am doing this for God." And so he and so comes the passage where this is this is like the word about obedience, right? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed, to listen, to hearken to the word of God, better than a fat of rams. You see, obedience is what God desires most, not religious sacrifice. Obedience is doing the will and seeking to please someone in authority. Sacrifice, however, is seeking to appease or cool off the anger of an authority Obedience is to seek to please, to do the will of someone in authority over you Sacrifice is to appease the anger, to cool off the anger of an authority you have disobeyed. You see, under OT laws, that people had to sacrifice animals because of the result of sin. This obedience resulted in a need for sacrifice. Those sacrifices were accepted by the Lord. He even gave ordinances about those sacrifices. It was accepted by God, but it was not what He wanted most. The heart of God wasn't to, yes, go and sin and then just keep sacrificing once a year, fine. You know that one person can just come before me and I will you know just erase all the sin that wasn't the heart of the father he accepted it because he still wanted that communion with man he still wanted his to keep that that relationship with his it was a it was almost like if I can say a desperate attempt by God to maintain relationship with his children, but that wasn't what he wanted even the most even the most perfect sacrifice that will once and for all be the end and be be all of all sacrifice, even Jesus, when he came, he came and he became obedient, the Bible says in Philippians, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. When Jesus came, he wasn't just coming here to for the sake of being sacrificed, but he came in obedience to God. And that was the perfect sacrifice, but that wasn't what God wanted from us. He didn't want religious sacrifice from us. Sometimes we go around um, doing things and uh, bearing burdens in the name of the Lord. You know, I've met a lot of people who does that. You know, they go around doing a lot of things, a lot of zealous, good Christian things. And they go around bearing the burdens of, um, I don't know, things that actually has no relationship, relation with them. And they do it in the name of the Lord. You know, but that's not really what God asked them to do. And so there's always a lot of strife. There's always a lot of, um, they always feel burdensome. Like, the whole world is crashing, and they are trying their best. They are the only person who can see that the world is dying, and they are trying to save it, but there's no help. So they're always, they're always depressed and always, you know, like, thinking, God, why like that, you know? But because that's not what God has told them to do, they are sacrificing, and they are beating themselves up for the sake of the name of the Lord, but that's not what God asked for. You see, God doesn't want sacrifice to be a substitute for genuine relationship and genuine obedience, he doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to just do things for Him in substitute for actual obedience and submission to Him. Do you get it? Doing things for God doesn't mean that's what He told you to do. And so you might be doing very good Christian, well-meaning, well good-intended things, but it's not exactly what God does it and he, uh, what God told you to. And he doesn't want those activities and the busyness and the actions of all that to substitute a true obedience to him. You know, then you might be thinking, okay, maybe even in our obedience, there might be sacrifices of praise, right? We always say there's a sacrifice of praise. There is a, um, there's something that God might ask, like even in, the, in Abraham's case, asking us to give up the sacred, you know, to sacrifice what we hold dear. And I believe that there, is, there are things like that and there are times like this where God will cause to sacrifice. But if we truly come into true obedience to God, we will, we will come to realize that whatever that we seemingly sacrifice gets overshadowed by the joy and the reward that is before us. That all those things that we hold dear, that when we give it up, we realize that, hey, there's no life in them. And there's only true satisfaction in Him. And so that it's, not a, it's not really sacrifice anymore. You know, and so in God, He desires true obedience. In God, it is, God loves obedience so much that He gave. You know, very very seldom do we see God say, "Okay." Uh, he always talks about blessings. Then straight away, He talks about curse because He, he wants to give that 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 contrast. He wants you to know, like, okay, this is life, or then this is death. Choose it, right? This is what God. God is a very good teacher. He will like this is good. This is bad choose good and so over here in this passage we also see that God says i to obey is better than sacrifice i please obey because if you don't obey disobedience is this and so god abhors disobedience and in first samuel chapter 15 just down after he says to obey is is better than sacrifice in verse 23 it says for rebellion or disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. You know, some translation says witchcraft as divination. What is divination? Divination is the art or practice that seeks to foresee or foretell future events and discover hidden knowledge, usually by the interpretation of omens or by the aid of supernatural powers. It's the art of practicing and seeking to foresee or foretell events or discover hidden knowledge. And so, you know, God hates rebellion so much that he says um, that he... For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, the sin of divination. And God puts divination in the same category as a lot of horrible things that he hates. Okay, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10, it says, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes, or interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. This He lumps divination, which is like the sin, which is rebellion, and which he likens disobedience to, into this list of things that he finds as an abomination to him. These are things that he hates, literally hates. So why is rebellion and, and divination and disobedience like the sin uh, why is rebellion and disobedience like the sin of divination? You know, divination as it says in the in the in the dictionary, it says to seek out knowledge from another source, right? From a spiritual source, to foretell, to to uh, to to find out hidden knowledge. And that's exactly what this disobedience is based on. Disobedience is saying that God, you are not the true and reliable source of wisdom, so I seek out another wisdom. Do you hear that? That is disobedience. Disobedience is when God tells you something, you are rejecting Him as the reliable and the only source of wisdom, and you're seeking out and you're trying to find another kind of wisdom. Another, you are trying to foresee and foretell another outcome May God, you might be God But you don't really know my circumstances So let me just think through for myself Like I can, I can plan my life Or when God says something you know, God, I know you are God You might have the best plan But maybe, why don't you take my suggestions and that is the, the practice of divination, and which is why, and that's why exactly this obedience is based on the seeking out of other wisdom, the seeking out of other source of wisdom. And that's why God hates it. Because it means that you have no trust in Him, you reject Him as the only and the, only and, the and the and the most reliable source, as the giver of life, as the giver, as somebody who loves you. You reject that, and you reject him. (laughs) Disobedience is consulting yourself or someone else or something as an alternative to God. Disobedience is finding a substitute or finding an alternative to God's wisdom. That's what disobedience is. But God calls us to obedience, and in fact, God calls us to trust in Him, right? With all our heart, lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, we must acknowledge Him so He will direct our path. Do not be wise in our own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. That is what God is calling us into. But this obedience says no. Maybe there's something better. Maybe somebody has a better idea. Maybe I can come up with a greater plan for myself. And you reject God. As the true source John Piper has this quote Which is, which I shall read to you It says Disobedience puts the fear of man In the place of the fear of God It elevates pleasure in things Above pleasure in God It seeks a name for itself instead Of a name for God. It consults the wisdom of self instead of being satisfied with the will of God. And it sets more value on the dictates of self than on the dictates of God, and thus attempts to dethrone God by giving allegiance to the idol of the human will. But this but obedience, being the exact opposite, in all these things enthrones and honors God. And therefore, God has pleasure in obedience. You know, someone once said, one of the reasons why people find it hard to be obedient to the commands of Christ is because they are uncomfortable taking orders from a stranger. Ooh, snap. (laughs) One of the reasons people find it hard to be obedient to the commands of Christ is because they are uncomfortable taking orders from a stranger. You see, true obedience is the response of someone who is in a relationship of trust with God. Jesus didn't say, if you love me, sacrifice for me. (laughs) If you love me, beat yourself up and do all these things for me. If you love me, obey me. Obedience was always a choice. Worship has always been a choice. In fact, the Bible says that it's the kindness of God, or some translations say it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It is the revelation of the love and the goodness of God that will cause us to forsake and abandon our always and choose to be aligned to what He says. And unless you, you get that, unless you have that revelation of, of how much God loves you and how good he actually is to you, you will always hold back. Like what Andre was speaking today, that you will always hold back in fully yielding to him, in fully trusting him, in fully submitting your life to him. Because you, you can't take orders from a stranger. Why will you listen to somebody that you don't trust and you don't really know? We must come to the revelation that God is good. not only is he good generically, but he's good to us, because He loves us. And only in that true love relationship can we have, can we extend our lives fully to Him in obedience? Can we fully trust him when, he, when as the only and the most reliable source of wisdom that whatever He says goes? This kind of obedience in in response to divine love always leads to a life of intimacy and upward spiral of dependence. You see, God is not calling us to be just robots, right? To, in fear and manipulation, we, we, okay, let's obey God. No, but true obedience is is in a love relationship. That the more you love Him, the more you are dependent on Him. And the more dependent you are on Him, you realize that you love Him. It's this upward spiral of dependency and intimacy with God. Back to Genesis in chapter 22, verse 18, about Abraham. The angel of the Lord said to Abraham, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. What was it about Abraham's obedience that pleased God so much? that his one act of obedience would release great blessings globally and generationally do you do you see the magnitude of this blessing that is upon abraham because he has obeyed his uh, the voice of god in all in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed it's a global and generational blessing can you imagine the impact that that would have if Every one of us have that kind of blessings. Can you imagine that? That all of us, because of our act of obedience, opens up a global, a generational blessing that is unstoppable. So, what was it about Abraham's obedience that caused that pleased the the Lord so much that he would do such an act to give out such a magnitude of blessings upon his life and upon the lives of of his descendants? I'm just going to go very quickly to this before I close. Abraham's obedience was, I tried, okay, I tried to do like the three words must rhyme. Oh, I start with the first letter, you know, because PD always does that, the PPPs, the TTT, or, you know, to this, to that, to that. Uh, but, sorry, I can't, can't really think of anything that will rhyme. So just get the point across, lah, huh? okay? So, yeah, I'm not pressure. Every time I come up with like rhyming words, you know, it was like... Oh. We need some wordsmith while we are like preparing sermons. Okay, Abraham's obedience, firstly, was immediate. In verse 3, it says, Abraham rose early in the morning. He didn't delay, he didn't procrastinate. There's there's just something about immediate obedience that pleases the heart of a parent, right? There's no need to bribe, to cajole, to convince, like, please lah, you know, can you do this? Later, you can go playground, there's just something about immediate, immediate obedience that pleases the heart of the, of the parent, and Abraham was like that. Can you imagine? You know, he, the the instruction he gave wasn't like, "Oh, why don't you go and set up uh, an altar and, and just uh, sing some songs to me." All oh, these kind of instructions are, huh? "Oh, sure, God, seven a.m. I wake up, I go and do it." I mean, that's a simple instruction. But this, the instruction that Abraham got was, "Go and slaughter your son." The son in whom all the promises of God rest in. Go and slaughter that one. And he just go like, sure, wake up early, rose early. He didn't procrastinate, he didn't delay. You know, what, I really wonder what God the Father might would have felt at that instant where, where, the, where Abraham's heart suddenly just inclined to say yes. Such joy that, you know, even in, in that, the sacredness of Isaac, you know, as him being the promised son and all. He, he didn't hesitate. You know, he, it was immediate. He didn't delay. And he essentially delayed obedience is still disobedience, right? Delayed obedience, say, please, ah, God, wait, ah, I go and seek out other wisdom. Is this the best way? Then if I don't have Isaac, then what will happen? Right? It's divination at work already, right? It's rebellion and disobedience at work. Because they're saying, God, hold on, huh? Ah. changan manyo. <sighs> Just, yeah, it means wait in Korean. Just trying to be relevant here. <laughs> See, so many people got it, so I'm relevant. <sighs> Chotomate is very 1990s. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, it is. Chotomate is very 1990s. <laughs> right? Delay obedience is very saying. Wait a minute, God. I might have something better. Let me think about it. And we are stepping into divination and we are stepping into disobedience. It's us stepping out of the counsel of God and saying, you might not have it all together. But Abraham was not like that. He didn't delay. He didn't procrastinate. Secondly, Abraham's obedience was with anticipation. It says in verse 5 that he said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I don't know if you caught it when, when you read it earlier, okay? He says, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Oh, I like my I We will come back to you. Do you hear what he said? He said, we will go there. Okay, we will go through go there and worship ready right? Do as what God instructed. But if you really did what God has instructed, right? How can we come back to you again? It was with such faith, such anticipation that Abraham went about to obey God. And I think this is what might, it might have happened before. Like I said, right? It's not easy to just say, yes, I will kill my son today. Thank you, Jesus, for this, this wonderful calling. It's not easy to do that, right? But it might have been because he has said yes to God so many times that the, whatever comes out from the, from the mouth of God, his heart and his soul and his spirit's inclination is straight away to say yes. Because he has been saying yes and yes, it becomes habit, right? It's work out for your soul, right? Your spirit. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Kill your son. Yes, Lord. Because it's such a life for him. The life of obedience is such a way of life for him that he has, his heart just inclines to God and says, yes, no matter the cause, yes, no matter the instruction, no matter what you say, it's still yes. And because he has said yes so many times, he has seen the faithfulness of God over and over and over and over again. There is a history with God that he has. And so it is with anticipation that he says yes to God because he knows. He knows that obedience to, with God, right, or obedience to God brings about blessings. Obedience to God brings about blessings, brings about breakthrough, brings about a provision, brings about abundance. He knows that even in the physical realm, it seems, it seems like he's, he's just going to kill his dream. But with God, anything can happen. And so it was with anticipation. And so sometimes when we when God asks us to do something, it's like almost a dreaded finale. Like, okay, my daughter does it very often. Like, can you please do this? That's after cajoling and like convincing a lot of like reasoning. And then she, will, okay. It's like this resigned final thing. Okay, I obey. And sometimes we do that with God right we it's like ah God has to like tch, reason with us a bit Then we' like okay, but that's not Abraham Abraham was like, okay, because hmm, on the other side of this okay is something else there is an anticipation, there's an excitement of what God is going to do you know and and honestly, I don't know okay, I don't know huh I don't know if 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 God would have really allowed him to kill Isaac. But what I know is that because in faith and obedience, Abraham prophesied into being what was not yet. So maybe, okay, this is, uh, this is a question for eternity, but maybe, maybe Isaac was meant to die physically. But because of the faith of Abraham He's after all a father of faith, right? But because of the faith of Abraham In prophesying, saying we will come back Maybe Just maybe that changed the course Of events Maybe God says I like that faith We will come back again Maybe This is not theological Okay, Don't throw stones at me Let's move on (laughs) Okay, so Abraham understood that obedience to God brings blessings. In Deuteronomy 28, it says, and it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments that the Lord your God shall set you high above all the nations and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord. He trusted God to keep his promise to him even when he didn't understand the process. Abraham's obedience stemmed from trust and a history with God. Lastly, Abraham's obedience was complete. If you read on after that how he set up the altar, how he put the wood, tie up Isaac and everything, he went the whole 9 yards. You know, he didn't like I say, he didn't hesitate. He he was quick to do it, he found the spot, you know, if it's me, I'll be like, mm, we tend to walk on bigger round, <laughs> spend more time with my son, right, just walk a bigger round, go by the other way, with the GPS, why am I holding this, like, GPS, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I would, like, you know, take my time, and then, like, maybe slowly tie the rope, <laughs> put one stick in at a time on the altar. But his was fast, he was immediate, and he was complete. He went the whole nine yards. He didn't stop and negotiate his way out because it was inconvenient. He took effort. That's the thing. Abraham took effort to ensure that his obedience was complete, was full, was exactly what God told him. He took effort in making sure. He didn't just like... Okay, Lord, then you do whatever you want to do. Lord. But he participated. He wasn't passive in his obedience. He was active in his obedience to God to ensure that everything is covered, that God, whatever grounds you said I have to cover, I will cover everything. I will do more. I will be the second mother in sacrificing my son. And he, would, he did that. And that's why God was so pleased with Abraham's response that he opened the floodgates of blessings upon Abraham and his descendants. And Pastor Daniel said this, that many of us want the blessing of Abraham, but I'm willing to follow the example of obedience like Abraham. Can I have the band on stage? Is it really? Do you learn something today? You see, worship is essentially and fundamentally a life fully yielded to God. Yeah. It's a surrender of our own ways, our own wisdoms, and a recognition and acknowledgement that God is our only source. That is worship. That there is no other way, that there is no other person. Amen. It is not stemmed from fear or manipulation. It's a response to not only an all-knowing God, but an all-loving one. When you live your lives in obedience to God, you will be truly living a life of worship. Truly living a life of worship. You see, worship is not merely the expressions. The expressions will come when the internal is, is transformed. Right? Sometimes we go through the motions in lifting up hands and even kneeling and uh, just being moved by the atmosphere. But that's not exactly worship. That's just an um, outer expression of of, uh, what your emotions are feeling, what your mind is thinking about. But true worship and a a life of true worship is one that's lived out in full obedience to God. That doesn't substitute religious activities for true submission to His Lordship. The Miriam Webster dictionary says that worship is reverence offered to a being who is worthy of esteem. And when we worship, when we worship, do we really esteem him as the only one worthy of esteem? Do we view God as the only one worthy of esteem, as the only true source of life, of wisdom, of love? Do we really, truly subject ourselves to Him? Or are we just going through the motions? Today I want to challenge your worship. Is it a ceremonial ritual of your Christian religion or a response of true obedience to your God? Are you substituting religious activities for genuine submission to God? In all your well-meaning Outward expressions of worship Is there really an inward submission And satisfaction In the will, in the word And in the counsel of God Why don't you stand today Let's just sing a song